And uh, yeah, so uh, it's a little chill, chillier up here. But I remember we moved back to Indiana, and we had to go get our license. This was back in 2012, and um, our son Jeremy had gotten his driver's license, so he was going in to get his driver's license, and Laura's getting hers. And I went in, took the test here so I could become certified to drive in Indiana, and they told me that I couldn't get my license because there was a warrant out for me in the state of New Jersey. I said, what do you, I have never been to New Jersey. They said, well, there's a warrant for you in the state of New Jersey. I said, well, that's not me. Here's my identification. And, of course, I had to go through a process where I had to file paperwork. And, of course, about three weeks later, they come back and say, our bad. It's not the same James Wright. Then I'm thinking, well, why do you have driver's license, Social Security numbers, and all this stuff, and you still get mixed up? Okay. But anyways, it was just kind of, it was bad because they, they were like, hey, we're just not so sure we can give you a license. And here's the deal. Identity is everything, right? Your identity. I mean, the way I was able to get my Indiana driver's license is I proved who I was. Okay, this is my social security number. This is all this stuff about me. And of course, they said, oh, that's the wrong person. Okay, you don't have a warrant. I know. I've never been to New Jersey. But again, identity is everything. And you hear it about today a lot, right? You hear about identity theft. You hear about identity protection. All those things, LifeLock, you've probably heard about that. Maybe you all somehow have some of those services. You hear about identity politics is a buzzword going around, identity politics. You also hear maybe about identity disorder. I, in fact, I learned about an identity disorder. It's called disassociative fugue. It's hard for me to say. It's basically when a person forgets who they are. And, and one of the most famous examples is of a pastor named Ansel Bourne in 1887. He, uh, he left his home in Rhode Island. He, he just had this sense that he had somehow fallen from his duty, and he just left his home. He traveled 240 miles away. He opened up a candy and stationery store, and he went by the name of Alton Brown. And... and for months, people didn't know what happened to the pastor, and finally they located him, and when they found him, he, he didn't know who he was. In fact, he went to the landlord's house before they found him and knocked on the door and said, where am I at? They eventually got him back to Rhode Island. He never remembered who he was. And again, it's kind of weird, but sometimes people actually forget their identity. And so in our country, because identity is so big, we have all sorts of forms of identification, right? You all have a social security number. We all get that. We all get a driver's license. You get birth certificates. You get passports. And we need identification. We need identification to vote. That's coming up. Don't forget to vote. Take some friends with you. We need identification to vote. We need identification to get a job. We need identification to apply for a credit card, right? We need identification. Identification is a big, big help. There's, there's a story about a pastor uh, who was in a church where they had the big bell tower. And uh, I've been up in those bell towers, and they have these massive bells, and they have a big rope. And, they, and, and of course, back in the day, you would, they would ring the, the, rope, the bell, pull the rope for time for church, call people to prayer and time for church. And the bell ringer had fallen ill, 
and they were having a service coming up, and the pastor's like, oh my goodness, I've got to find somebody to ring the bell, okay? And so the pastor put an ad out in the paper, and they found a guy, he showed up and said, yeah, I'll, I'll ring your bell. So the pastor said, okay, hurry up and follow me, we don't have much time. And so in those towers, it's often a spiral staircase, so they're chugging up the spiral staircase, running up as fast as they can, because the pastor doesn't have much time. Once they got up there, the, the guy that was going to ring the bell tripped, and he went flying headward into the big bell, and he hit it with his head, and went boom. And he was so dazed, he was just walking around like a daze, and he fell out the window, and he landed on the ground. Well, the pastor goes running down. He calls the ambulance. The ambulance gets there, and the doctor says, uh, uh, well, okay, who is this guy? And he says, I don't know who he is, but, but his name sure, his head sure rings a bell. And um, so, anyways, anyways, but his... We need identification, right? But um, I just seen if you were awake. <laughs> His face sure rings a bell. But, you know, we all need identification. And if you're online, we have identification. Username and password. All right. If you run a website like we do, you get all those calls. I can't remember my password. Nowadays, we have two-step verification. Maybe you've gotten that, where it actually calls your phone, gives you a code that you now have to put in for another layer of protection. Uh, fingerprint readers, my computer. I have a fingerprint scanner on my computer uh, that will open it up. My phone, which I have in my pocket here, has a finger scanner on. I also have an iris detector because uh, I have my credit cards on my phone so I can pay with my phone. And so it scans my irises to make sure it's me before it'll pay on the phone. So we have all sorts of ways of identification like that because identity is important, right? It tells who you are. It tells people who you are. It proves that you say who you are, who you are. Now, here's my question. I, I know we're talking about maybe earthly identity, but who are you spiritually? Who are you spiritually? What are you spiritually? What, how do you identify yourself spiritually? So if you have your Bibles, we've been going through 1 John. So if you'll take out your Bibles, that's in the New Testament, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So if it's towards the back there. 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. So if you hit Revelation, turn left, go back. So John the Apostle, at this point, an elderly man. And man, he's been through so much. I mean, he was with Jesus when he was probably a late teen. He was probably the youngest apostle. And he saw Jesus heal people. He heard Jesus teach these phenomenal teachings. He saw Jesus die on the cross. He was there unlike the other apostles. He, he went to the tomb. Uh, well, you know, when Mary came back and him and Peter ran to the tomb and he went inside and saw the grave clothes. That night, Jesus appeared and, and he was there. And then for the next 40 days, he saw Jesus and ate with Jesus and hung out with Jesus and saw Jesus do many other things. And so he had had this incredible time with Jesus. He was there when Jesus ascended to heaven. He, he was there when the Holy Spirit came down, the tongues of fire there on the day of Pentecost. He was there. And he was an apostle. He was a there. He was an eyewitness of these things. And that's how he started his letter, if you remember, several weeks ago. And now he's an older man. And he has seen so much happen in his lifestyle, he, in his lifetime, he had seen Christianity start to grow from when Peter preached and 3,000 were saved. And then later, him and, and Peter actually were at the temple and 5,000 people became followers of Jesus. I mean, he was, he was there when thousands of people became Christ followers. He was there when Stephen was stoned and, and, and everybody started fleeing from Jerusalem and even the apostles started leaving Jerusalem. And, and he was there and he saw the gospel start reaching literally all, throughout 
throughout the region and further and further out. He was there when the Apostle Paul came on the scene and, and Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. He was there when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and, and, and the Jews were, were ba- basically being uh, cast out and ostracized. And he, he was seeing the, the church grow from this beginning nucleus. It was growing and growing and growing, but he was also seeing a lot of false teaching come into the church. And he was seeing a lot of people who were calling themselves Christ followers who were starting to teach uh, bad false doctrine. And he was seeing a lot of them leave the church. And so he was really concerned as he's in the later years of his life that he really wants to see the Christ followers really grow in their fellowship with God and with Christ and one another. And so he writes First, Second, Third John. He wrote the Gospel of John. And of course, uh, revelation as well. And, and I just as he's writing to Christ followers, because his heart is so, I want you guys to grow in your relationship with Christ, because these are really hard times. The church is getting under persecution outside. There's, there's trash within. There's false teaching. And I really want you guys to make sure that you know who you are. I want you to know your identity. So look at what he says. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Look how great the Father love, how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children. Now the we and the us is Christ followers. He says, Look how great a love the Father has given to us. If you're a Christ follower, look at the great love the Father has given to us. And here's what I want you to know this morning. Here's your identity. You are a child of God. If you are, if you've responded to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a child of God. Now, in fact, let me, let me give you a few things about being a child of God. First of all, you were born into God's family. Now, how does that happen? How does a person get born into God's family? Well, John also wrote the Gospel of John. And as he began the Gospel of John, he wrote these words. He says, but to all who received him, he's speaking about Jesus Christ. He, that's God, to all the people who received him, God gave them the right, the authority to be children of God. To those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let me break that down. He says this, as he writes the Gospel of John, he, he says this, To everybody who received Christ, there's what's called the ordo salutis, the first thing is received Christ. But to everyone, anybody who received Christ, who heard the message of the Gospel, what is the message? We are all rebellious against God. We've all rebelled, right? Let's all, let's all admit that, okay? We've all rebelled against our parents. We've all rebelled against authority. We've all rebelled against God. We all need a deliverer from our rebellion, okay? Because God's not going to allow rebellious people into heaven, because it wouldn't be heaven, all right? So we need a deliverer from our rebellion, and the deliverer is Christ. Jesus came, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. So John, as he's writing this, says that everybody who has received him, here's what God does, God gives them the right to become the sons of God. Now, how do we receive him? Well, the Bible says this, we receive him by faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I want you to think back to that time when you heard the Word of God, when you heard the message of the Gospel, and you felt the Holy Spirit convicting you of your rebellion, and you said, I need to repent. I need to respond to the Gospel. Again, that's, that's where it starts. You hear it, the Word, 
and you respond to the word. And, and here's what John says. So if you've received him, he gave them, those who received him, the right, the authority to be called, here's our identity, the children of God. Now, now here he goes on in verse 13. I just want to make this clear. He says, who were born not of blood. Here's the deal. <clears throat> you don't become a Christian because your grandpappy was, was. My grandpappy was a Christian, therefore I am. Nope, you ain't. Sorry for the bad English. All right. You're not a follower of Jesus because your grandpappy was a preacher. I don't care that he was. I want to know about you. You're not born of blood, a blood relation, okay? You're not, you're, not, you're not born of the will of the flesh. In other words, you can't make yourself become a child of God. It's solely the work of God. You responding in faith, and God does the work. And, and again, it's not by the will of man. Nobody can do it for you. Again, I know a lot of people grow up in, in churches where they're baptized as babies and things like that. And, and, and here's the deal. That's wonderful. That's fine. Whatever. But let, let's just say this. That doesn't make you a Christian. That just means you were wet as a baby. Okay. It doesn't make you a follower of Christ just because your parents, if your parents said, you need to go down now and get saved, that you have to make the response. It's not somebody else doing it for you. And so John, he, he's just blown away by this thought. He, he Go back to ver, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, look, this is amazing how great a love the Father has for us that we should be called the children of God. Let me, let me ask you a question. Do you ever just feel worthless? Or do you ever have a pity party for yourself? If I ever do that? Or am I the only one that ever has a pity party? You ever have pity parties for yourself? Or you feel like nobody loves you? Here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I have no reason to have a pity party. Look at how great a love, and that word says self-sacrificial love. Look at how great a self-sacrificing love God has for us. I didn't deserve it. I can't earn it. I didn't make it happen. I don't deserve this. Look at how great a love the Father has for us. Because here's the deal. As we read in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. We, we, we don't deserve this, okay? We're just naturally rebellious. Paul wrote in, in Romans 3.11 that there is nobody who understands, no one who seeks after God. The, the, we, we, we are just naturally rebellious people. But look at how great a love the Father has for us. Even though we're rebellious Look at the great love he has for us. And we heard the word, we heard the gospel, and we said, yes, that's what I'm looking for. Christ is the answer. And we respond to the gospel message. So again, if you have responded to the gospel message, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you are a child of God. Amen? That's who you are. Now, I'm going to give you some fake news. All right, we all hear about fake news. Here's a fake news. Everybody's a child of God. Fake news. Hang with me. The truth is, everybody is created in the image of God. So we should love each other, respect each other, care for each other. The truth is, everybody is loved by God. He loves everybody. The truth is, Christ died so that anyone who responded to his gospel salvation could be saved. But the truth is, only those who have received him, Jesus Christ as Savior, have the right to be called the children of God. 
I know that's a hard message, and that flies in the face of what you hear in the media all the time, but that's just what the gospel says. To those who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. You mean, Jim, there's people out there that the Bible calls children of the devil? Yep, if you look down in verse 10 of chapter 3, this is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially those who do not love his brother. Now again, everybody is created in the image of God. We should love each other. We, we should care for each other. You should minister to your Muslim neighbor down the street, your Hindu neighbor down the street. You, you should give a cup of cold water to the homeless person. You, you, sh you should not worry about what, what ethnos ethnicity a person is. You shouldn't worry about what the religion. We should love them. We should show the love of Christ. They are created in the image of God. Okay? But only those who have responded to God's message have the right to be called the children of God. In fact, Jesus said this to the religious leaders, to the religious leaders and the Jews of his day. You are of your father, the devil. Man, that's tough. You want to know why they tried to kill him? Things like this. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. If you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at John, 1 John chapter 2. We talked about antichrists. John says many antichrists have come. And that's just simply those who are against Christ. They're not the children of God. Again... We should share the gospel. We should love everybody. We should treat everybody with respect. But biblically, the only people that have the right to be called, the authority to be called the children of God are those who have responded to Jesus Christ. If you've responded to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have the right, you have the authority, your identity is you're a child of God. So one way we become a child of God is we're born into God's family. But there's another thing that happens the moment that you respond to the gospel and you ask Christ to be your Savior, you are adopted into God's family. So you're not only born into God's family, but the Bible also speaks about you being adopted into God's family. For example, here's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. For you, he's not talking, he's talking to believers here. He's talking to believers. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, Paul says you, weren't adopt, you were not adopted into God's family to live in fear, to live in fear of the future, to live in fear of things, where you're going to spend eternity. You were adopted into God's family so that you would not be a slave to sin. You were no longer a slave to sin. Sin is not your master. You were adopted into God's family. And the perk of this is that you're no longer a slave to sin. You don't need to be afraid. And you can legitimately call God Daddy. Abba, Father, literally Daddy. Again, only those who can legitimately call God Daddy are those who are His Savior, and, and follow Him as Savior. And again, identification has its perk. I, I read a story of a, of a uh, pastor that was riding with a guy who was a retired Air Force and uh, they came to the gate, and the guards were there, the big early guards, and, and, and the Air Force guy wanted to show the pastor something of the Air Force base, and they just drove right on through. He's like, how come we weren't stopped? I mean, if I tried to go through here, I would be stopped. I wouldn't be let go. And the, the Air Force guy pointed to the decal in his window. That's my identification. 
So when I came through, the guard saw it and said, you are permitted to go in and you're allowed to take a guest with you. So again, because he, he had that previous clearance, your identification means everything. It has its perks. <clears throat> you can go into the Air Force Base with the right identification. As a follower of Jesus, the perks, you're no longer a slave to sin. You can call God your father. Again, those are perks. You have been adopted into God's family. So here's the deal. When you feel useless... When you feel depressed, when you feel hopeless, when you feel helpless, when you feel hurting, when you feel like alone, just remember this. If you're a follower of Jesus, God adopted you into his family. You're not alone. You're not alone. You have a loving Heavenly Father. And that's why John says, look. Look at this. How great a love. This is phenomenal that God has for us. Even though we're rebellious people, we heard the gospel. We responded to the gospel. Look at this great love that we should be called God's children. And let me just say something. God didn't let invite us into his family begrudgingly. He desires this. Ephesians, Paul says that he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will. This is God's good pleasure. He loves it when we respond in faith. He loves it when people call upon Jesus Christ to save them. God determined, he predestined that this is the way it'll be. This is the way it'll be. When God created the world, he knew when he gave us free will that we would sin. And so God predetermined the way I'm going to do this. I'm going to send my son. He's going to die on the cross so that all who respond to him can have eternal life. This is what it's about. And again, think about this. Not only are you born to God's family, but you're adopted. And you know, when you're adopted, here's the thing, and some of y'all may be adopted, I don't know about everybody's story, but when you're adopted, you're literally chosen. The parents looked at you and said, we want that child. Something about you attracted you to them. And in fact, honestly, an adoptive parent has more power of choice than a birth parent, right? I mean, you just take what you get. When the kids are born to you, right? When you're an adopted parent, you can kind of say, mm, there's 10 kids in the room, but this is the one we feel drawn to. Again, we should rejoice because God chose us, adopted us. He chose us into our family. Now, adoption in earthly world is a legal thing. Legally, you're adopted into it. And, and, and again... When a child is legally adopted, the birth parents are no longer legally considered the parents. And, and, and the, the, the birth parents have really no legal responsibility anymore for that child once it's adopted. But remember, we're not only adopted, but we're born into God's family. You know, we, we have one son. And he lives in Chicago. And if he decided that he wanted to change his name... And disappear into Chicago and all the millions of people up there, I probably couldn't find him. Or let's suppose he moves on to the other side of the world to France and he changes his name to Francois Sifouple. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he goes to France, changes his name. I can't find him. Can he change the fact that he's my son? Absolutely not. When you are born into God's family, you can't reverse it. Jesus said, you're in my hand, 
and I'm not letting you go. I'm in my Father's hand. He's not letting you go. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's not letting you go. So we're born into God's family. We're adopted into God's family. And it's God's good pleasure to do that again. Here's what John wrote early in chapter 2 from a few weeks ago. My little children, again, he's speaking to Christ's followers. I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Christ's followers, you have an advocate. Someone who will stand beside. Someone who will plead your case. Who is he? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Again, look at how great a love the Father has for us. This is incredible. We have an advocate. You will always be a child of God. If you've responded to the gospel, you will always be him. Jesus said in John 10, you are in my hand. Nothing will take you out of my hand. And again, God chose you. He, he has adopted you into his family. You are a child of God. You are born into God's family. You are adopted into God's family. You are legitimately able to call the God of the universe Father. You're able to do that legitimately. You're not a slave to sin. You don't need to live in fear because you are a child of God. That's who you are. Let me give you something else. You are a child of God. You're also a foreigner in this world in which we live. Look at verse, last part of verse 1. The reason the world, and again, that's those who are outside of Christ, outside the family of God, does not know us is that it didn't know or didn't literally accept Christ. And here, here's what John wrote about Jesus in his gospel. He, that's Jesus, was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, that's his own people, the Jewish people, and his own people didn't receive him. Jesus was rejected by the world, and the reality is, folks, we are foreigners in this world. Paul, Paul wrote this in Philippians, but our citizenship is in heaven. Okay? So, so our... Citizenship is not here. You know, one thing I know is you can spot a foreigner pretty easily, right? They usually talk differently. Maybe they use a different language or if they speak English, they have a different accent. Their facial features are different. Their customs are different. Their, their attitude is different. And quite frankly, as followers of Christ, we should be different. Now, I'm not saying you have to be a weirdo. All right, I'm not saying you, ha you have to say amen, hallelujah every time somebody comes by or anything like that. I'm not saying you have to be like who in the world. Well, what I'm saying is this. The way that people should see us being different is by our love. That we love one another. That we love those who are different than us. That, you know, we'll put our arm around our neighbor who, you know, again, in my neighborhood, I've got... Muslims and Hindus uh, in our neighborhood, and we have all different ethnicities in our neighborhood, and they should know that we love them by our love. People should say there's something different about that person. That person's not hung up on race or color 
or anything like that, or social economic thing. Again, they should know us by our love, and that word love literally is that self-sacrificing love. They should know that we're different because they see that we love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and our strength. We're willing to self-sacrifice our desires for God's desires. We're willing to self-sacrifice our will for God's will. We're willing to self-sacrifice what we want for what God wants. People should see that we have a love for God, and we have a love for our neighbor. We love them enough to share the good news with them. I want to challenge you, and this is a challenge for me too, to share the good news of the gospel. Share the good news of the gospel. Um, Some of the guys that I meet with on Thursday, uh, we started last week. Every week when we gather, one person has to share the gospel with the rest of us. Uh, I want everybody to be comfortable with sharing the gospel. Uh, this week, we had a guy come here to our church to, to reset our copier. And again, it doesn't have to be elaborate. Uh, before I left, I said, hey, JP, I want to give you a track. I said, I don't know where you're at spiritually, but just read this, okay? And just see what, you know, God is saying to you. It, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be crazy. You don't have to be wide-eyed. You can just be a person that loves people enough to share the gospel with them. You can be a person that loves God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. People should be able to tell between you and I that there's something different. They may not be able to put a finger on it, but that there's something different. We should prove who we say we are. Many years ago, there was a famous violinist named Fritz Kreisler, famous violinist. <clears throat> He was going from concert date to concert date, and he got stuck in a port, and um, he misplaced his identification, and he needed to get on the next boat because he had a concert date coming up, and they weren't going to let him go. And he said, I am Fritz Chrysler, the world-renowned violinist. And the guy said, well, yeah, right, whatever. Uh, He's like, no, i got to get on this boat. And he said, let me prove it to you. And Chrysler pulled out his violin and played a piece that he was famous for, and when the people heard him play it, they said... Only one person can play the violin like that, Fritz Chrysler. He proved who he said he was. So don't just say you're a Christian. Show it. Show it to other people. So remember, you're a child of God. You're not a citizen of this world. You're a foreigner of this world. Remember this. You're a child of God, and you also have a phenomenal future. Look at verse 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now. That's the present reality. And what we will, that's the future, what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. One day, Jesus Christ will return and take his children, his church, back with him. One day, our salvation will be complete. One day, it will all be over. But until that day, But we have an incredible future to look forward to. Look, we have been declared not guilty by God. One day we will be like now. That's what we've been declared now. One day we will be with God. We will no longer possess a sinful nature. I'm looking forward to that day. No more struggle with the old sin. No more struggle with these things. One day that's our future coming on. No longer we have to battle with our sinful flesh. No longer we're going to be confined to a sinful world. No longer we're going to be confined to a a body that's aging, okay, and, and losing hair and all those things like that. All right, one day we're, gonna, we're not going to be confined to this. We're not going to be having sickness anymore. No more death. No more sorrow. No more shame. No more temptations. No more limitations of time and space. We have a phenomenal future. Why? Because you're a child of God. You're a child of God. That's 
an incredible, incredible perk. And let me share with you one last thing. You are a child of God. If you are a child of God, I probably should have put a big if. I'm assuming everybody is in here. And if you're watching by Facebook, I hope you are too. If you are a child of God, you will want to be different. You will want to be different. Identity is a powerful thing. You know, we identify with a lot of people what we do. I'm an engineer. I'm a preacher. I'm a businessman. I'm a construction worker. I'm an electrician. We identify with who we are. I'm a woman. I'm a man. I'm a mother. I'm a student. We identify maybe with what we are. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm an independent. I'm a black woman. I'm a white man. I'm an Asian woman. We identify with those things. We identify about where we're from. I'm from Kentucky. I'm from Indiana. I'm from Virginia, West Virginia, whatever. We identify with those things, right? We identify with those markers in our lives. Those are how we prove that who we are. We should want to be different. You know, our identity, let me just tell you this, our identity drives our behavior. Our identity drives our behavior. In 1997, there was a study done about uh, kids taking music lessons, and they were trying to figure out why some kids really progressed faster than other kids. And in the study, what they found out was very interesting that the kids, when they started music lessons, the kids that started music lesson, the, if a kid at, shortly after starting their music lesson started referring to themselves as a musician, saw themselves as a musician, progressed much quicker than the kids who never saw themselves as a musician. In other words, the kids that just took the music lesson just to make mom and dad happy never did quite as well as the kids who said, I'm a musician and I play this instrument. And in fact, they found that the kids who identified themselves as musicians, even though they sometimes practiced less, they, their ability went even further than the kids who practiced more. Why? Because the kids who immediately started identifying themselves as a musician who will play this instrument for the rest of my life did so much better than the kids who had just a short-term view and didn't see themselves as a musician. Our identity drives our behavior. Here's what John says. Look at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him, everyone who's responded to Christ, here's what they do. Purifies himself just as he is pure. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your natural internal desire should be to be like Christ. That should be your natural identification. Again, if a person says, I'm not a Christian, but they're living completely opposite of Christ, boy, you better check and make sure you truly repented and responded to Christ. Because if you're a Christian, a true follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to want to be like Christ. You're going to want to walk in the light. That's what John started off this letter. You're going to want to walk in the light. How do you walk in the light? By choosing to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. By loving your neighbor as yourself. By loving one another in the church. By submitting to God's will. By choosing not to live in sin. By choosing to repent when you sin. By choosing to confess your sins. Again, if you're a true follower of Christ, you will want to identify with your Savior. You know, a lot of times in the church we say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, you are. 
But you know the New Testament, the majority of time, calls us saints. Very rarely does it refer to a believer as a sinner after Christ. The majority of the time in the New Testament, believers are called saints or we're called holy. And, and again, if you identify as a saint, instead of saying, oh, I'm just a sinner, why don't you start saying, I'm a saint? Amen. Tell your husband that too. And lady, husbands, tell your wife. Because if you're a true Christ follower, you are, right? You're a saint. Here, here's the deal. When you say, when you identify as a saint, it's a whole lot easier saying no to sin. When you're like, well, I'm just a sinner. I can't help it. I just sin. No, I'm a saint. I don't need to do that. I have Christ in me. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a new creation in Christ. That's who I am. I'm a child of God. Remember, I just, I just want to hammer this home this morning. Identity is everything. Remember who you are. You are a child of God. You're born into God's family. You're adopted into God's family. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a foreigner in this world. You're a new creation in Christ. You're a saint. You're a holy one. You are justified. God's declared you as righteous. You're sanctified. You're growing in your faith. You will be glorified one day. Your identification in Christ should affect the decisions you make, your attitude, your priorities, your actions, your responses. That's who you are if you've received him. He has given you the right, the authority to be called a child of God. You can say, Abba, Father. Now, here's my question. First of all, do you identify as a child of God? Do you say, this is who I am? This is who I am. I'm a child of God. I know I know very well there was a time in my life when I was convicted about my sin and my rebellion. And I know that I humbled myself, I repented, and I asked Christ to be my Savior. I, I got my faith and trust in Him alone. Do you know that? Do you identify as a child of God? And let me ask you another one. Would others identify you as a child of God? Would they say, yeah, something different about her. Yeah, she's a, she's a Christian. Yeah, he's, he's a Christian. Yeah, he won't do that because he's a Christian. Yeah, you won't ever hear those words come out of her mouth because she's a Christian. Yeah, you know, came up to me the other day and apologized to me because she said that she said something that was not right and she wanted to say, I'm sorry, I've never had anybody do that. She said she was a Christian. Christ forgave her. And wow. Wow, you know, I mean, he showed grace to that person that treated him poorly at work. John, why'd you show grace to that guy? That guy's a jerk. Christ showed grace to me. I'll show grace back. What's different, John? Grace receivers are grace givers. Now let me tell you about the grace I received. Do you identify as a child of God? And would others say, yep, they really are. There's something different. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of calling you a father. Father, I pray that everybody in this room, maybe those and those who are watching by Facebook, can point to a time in their life 
when they humbled themselves, repented of their rebellion, turned from their rebellion, and turned to Christ alone for salvation, for deliverance. If there's somebody here this morning that can't point to that time, maybe somebody's just assumed they were always a Christian, but they really don't know, I pray right now they'll call out to you and give their heart and life to you. Father, for those here this morning who say, yes, I know that's what I am, but I've been feeling depressed and lonely and all those things, I pray that this morning will be encouragement to them to remember, no, you are a child of God. And I pray that they'll just rest in that because that's what we are. And I pray, Father, for those of us who are your children, that, Father, that people can tell. They'll know we are Christians by our love, our love for our fellow human beings, even though they may be very different from us, even though sometimes others may be mean to us, they'll see that we have a love for them. People will know we are followers of Christ by our love, by our love. Father, I pray that people will see Christ in us and they'll want to know what's different in your life. Father, we live in a, a world that is so rapidly decaying. And we pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to our future with you. But until then, help us to live as your children because that's what we are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.